Hey everybody, welcome to this week's rendition of the Studio Cellar. We have Fallon Masterson in, writer-editor, and we're going to talk about web versus print. Studio Cellar! What's up, everybody? We've got Fallon Masterson on the show today. Hi, Fallon. Hello. How are you today? Very well. And you guys? Good. It's Saturday. Well, we're recording on Saturday. It's technically Monday for everybody else. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and dive right into this and go, Fallon, is print dead? If you were just beginning a venture for the first time and you were trying to start on print, I would say that is probably a horrible idea. Oh. Unlo- All right. Unless you were going to make it actually like a beautiful product in and of itself, something that people really wanted to hold on to as like a memento. Because I think especially with vinyl now, we're seeing that people will still buy physical products, but there has to be like a really... nostalgia. Yeah, it has to be nostalgia or a really concrete reason. Like it's um, like physically beautiful or limited edition or, or you're some old, you know, standby like... Fangoria or something. Mm. If we're going to stick with uh, with horror, yeah, we can yeah. stick with horror. Yeah. So um, Tom's a big horror guy. I'm pretty big. I would be huge. Big. I would be a horror guy, but Tom never invites me over for movies or to Rock and Chuck or anything. Well, that's because I don't like you. Oh, all right. Yeah, because I'm not a big fan <laughs> of me. Yeah. No. It's all right. No, I love you, Jimmy. It's okay. Um, so yeah, describe to us uh, why why you're so familiar with this topic, print and web and and, and all this. Sure. So. Uh, in 2007, I became involved with Scars Magazine, and Scars Magazine was created out of Warwick, Rhode Island. And the reason I found them was, uh, as a horror person, are you familiar with the movie Hatchet? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm actually familiar with that one. Yeah, that's the Adam Green, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good. So I went to the Hatchet premiere in Boston in 2007. Excellent. And there was these two guys who were there handing out a a physical print copy of this magazine to everyone in attendance. And the main crux of it was about Hatchet and had interviews. And it also had interviews with other people like John Carpenter and some really cool content. But (laughs) as I was flipping through it, I noticed it was riddled with typos and (laughs) things that like as a, you know, as a writing major coming from just fresh out of college, really drove me crazy and I was like oh my god what a great product how did they get this out there complete with these grammatical errors yeah it it devalues it a little it does devalue it and so then I flipped open and looked at the masthead and I saw it was published out of Warwick and I thought oh my god this is right in my backyard this is I I can there's this is attainable I can get involved in this these guys obviously know how to hook up with um you know, movies, they've got connections, but just some of these fine-tuning things. And I became involved with the magazine then. And at that time, Scars was carried uh, nationwide, all 50 states, Barnes & Noble's borders. You could get it anywhere. But then um, as the economy was getting worse and in around 2009, we first started losing a bunch of staff because when you're starting up a venture like that, especially print, there's so much capital needed just to do your print. You can't really afford to give people great compensation unless you um, have a, a nest egg already built or you're really like moving and shaking on your advertising and have a, a tight print schedule with people who are willing to work for less. So 
from there, we kind of dropped down to just me and the primary creator, and we segued over to web. And at that time in 2009, there weren't any other horror magazines that were on websites. And of course, now um, Room Org and others have all transitioned, so they do digital and print. But at the time, we kind of saw the way things were going and realized there was no way we were going to be able to keep the magazine up if we had to keep paying for these printing costs. And then if you don't sell them, they destroy all the back issues and the stores. And it's really heartbreaking. Yeah, that's sad. They do that. Yeah. Well, they're just like, these are all, light it's them like, on fire. It's like a child you don't want anymore. And yes. you're like, bury the boy. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. you know, that frequency. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get, um, I mean, it's a horror magazine, right? How did you get involved in horror? When did you kind of decide you liked horror? I, I think like a lot of people, I had um, a bad influence on me, which yeah. in, in my case was a mentally disturbed cousin, much older cousin. <laughs> who was showing uh, showing me movies he probably shouldn't have been seeing at a young age? Like, and... hey, come come over and look, look at this. Yeah, yeah, look, look, it's Chucky, Chucky. Oh, you have dolls. You have dolls, Fallon. What do you think of them? <laughs> Next thing you know, all the dolls are being taken out of my room. <laughs> um, but then it's cool because because it's such a, a niche interest. It makes it really easy to, I guess, like anything else. If you're into horror, it's very easy to make other friends who like horror, and you start finding other people you connect with, and you can scare the other kids in your neighborhood. And it's make... definitely a community. Yes. I've noticed. Mm-hmm. a community of horror people. Oh yeah, and it runs deep. It does. Oh. Usually back to childhood, right? Who do you know anyone who at like 27 years old just decided that they were going to be into <laughs> like this was going to be their thing? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. No, I've, n- I've never <laughs> met anyone who just was like, you know what? I like horror. <laughs> I'm like 28 and I just started liking horror movies. Yeah, it's like people who ride horses. I feel like that's something that starts <laughs> at like age, you know, young age and they're yeah. horse people and there's horror people. That's and... a good point. That's a good analogy. Horse and horror people do walk hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> so now you you uh, you haven't always lived in Rhode Island. You, you've been kind of around the country. You lived in uh, Albuquerque. I am. I've I've done um, Albuquerque, Chicago. Um, I was in Los Angeles for a little bit. So I've gotten all the mainland time zones down. (laughs) Now, was it because of work or just because you wanted to move somewhere else? Uh, Los Angeles was because for school. Albuquerque was, that was because of the way things were going in New England, 2009, 2010. I just couldn't find work up here anymore, especially with the the cursed writing degree. Yeah. <laughs> and you wanted to be close to Walter White. Of course. Yeah. You actually, I think you had mentioned you had seen them filming a bunch of stuff. Right? Yeah, Mar- Marie and Hank's house was right by mine, but I, I was oh. totally ignorant to the, the joys of Breaking Bad at the time. Uh, I I didn't come on to it until season four, so I just ignored nice. all, of, all of these things going on. But of course, the... You know, the result was when I moved was that the the close collaboration I had with Scars because we weren't in person together in Rhode Island that started to fall away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that I mean, we've talked about that before, which is kind of like remote working, right? Uh, and how that's extremely difficult to accomplish, especially consistently and at a scale that you were probably trying to accomplish at, right? Exactly, um, and then just too because when it when you are doing, I mean, as I, I guess you guys know, because it's the two of you. You have someone else who's going to push you and keep you on schedule, and when it's just one of you, it becomes like, oh, I'm going to do this next week. Oh, I'm going to do this next week. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Story of my life. Yeah. And especially if it's just one person who's doing a lot of the production work. I mean, as 
I came into it from a writing angle, but just out of necessity, I had to start learning more and more of layout and learning web and different skills that I didn't have just to, to keep the animal alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this was, uh, was it just like scarsmagazine.com, right? Or something. And then uh, was, do you feel like it was different accomplishing for the web as opposed to the print or or like you said, when uh, like Rumorg does it simultaneously, are they exact replicas, or is it almost like a different design sense too? Well, we we kept the exact same design because the the idea for us is that we would upload the digital online, and then people could um, through a third party website, uh, MagCloud, could order this print if they wanted to have the actual thing to treasure and to hold. That's very cool. But um, you know the the biggest problem I would say with as we're kind of talking about print versus web is people always want to be in print. No one seems to care if you tell them you're, they're just going to be on a website. Even yeah. even if we're telling them, like, if you're on the website, you'll get 30,000 eyes on this. If you go just in print, 18, like 18 <laughs> well, I people. Think, yeah. I, I think you're more inclined to read things, too, if you have the physical. Because I know, like, I read a lot of uh, recording and mixing magazine stuff, and I, I can get the digital copy online, but... Mm-hmm. If it shows up in the mail, I'm more inclined to be like, "Oh yeah, it's here," and then sit down mm-hmm. on the couch and flip through it and look at it. Whereas, like, if I'm online, you know, yeah, there's there's less competition for your time yeah. if you have the hard copy. If you have the hard copy, you're gonna read it. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a good point. That's a good point. But it's just one of those um those mental things, especially if you're promoting a product. And you know, when we were working with different you know people who were trying to promote a movie or artists or something like that, everyone wants the tear sheet for their own benefit you know it doesn't look as sexy like in their press kit to just have a screenshot from a website yeah so you do you also do uh short stories right i do that was something that i had gotten into when i was living in chicago so chicago came after albuquerque in in the timeline and Chicago has a really amazing spoken word uh, community and live storytelling tradition. And they were actually the first city to start doing um, poetry slams, which are, of course, everywhere today. And Slam poetry. I was actually going to I was going to ask. I don't really know. Everyone talks about it. I really don't. I've never seen it. I don't know what it is. Like, I, explain it to me. OK, so it came out of Chicago, this uh, place called the Green Mill, which was this old Al Capone hangout. Um, and it's actually really neat when you go inside there, there's like his booth (laughs) that faced the door so he could see attackers and there's like a trap door below it for him to escape through. (laughs) That is excellent. Escape pod. Yeah. (laughs) And this guy who started slam poetry, he's still there doing this on Sunday nights today, but basically what it is, is it's, um, it's like a performance driven it's not just someone standing up there and reading their their poem off of a piece of paper it's a little more aggressive it's engaging there's theatrical elements to it is it abrasive is it is it supposed to be um like intense or is it kind of can there be laid are there different variations of slam poetry yeah sometimes you'll have like uh i mean some people are depending what their message is it could be more aggressive or Sometimes you'll you'll see a guy who's like, baby girl, your eyes are the color of the little, you know, it's very, <laughs> very like lyrical, but it, it doesn't always have to be angry. It's whatever your story is and what, however your performance suits your content. But, um, you know, I never wrote poetry. I was just never interested in it. Uh, I do really like storytelling and personal essay and 
you know, I'll use the example of like David Sedaris, like when he does his essays or any of those sort of like old guard NPR people, Sarah Vowell and that kind of like storytelling. So what they do in Chicago, they you know, it's called live lit. And instead of people doing poems, it's more of a performance of people telling their personal stories and personal essays. And uh, they do it in other places in the country, but Chicago really was spearheading it. And I became interested in it because as a writer, I just thought it would be really interesting to, as you can hear me stumbling, think about what I sound like out loud yeah. instead of just on the page. Now, you, uh, there is there not much of a community for that here? Boston has an organization called MassMouth for anyone who's interested in it. They should definitely... Uh, massmouth.org check out their website and they have different events uh, each month and they do kind of a story slam format which is a little bit different than people performing their personal essays because it's more um more off the cusp you know it's not people reading it's a little more like if you know if you just started telling Jim a story right now it's you know if anyone's ever told and here's the thing with that when it isn't something that people have necessarily written or prepared out beforehand i find it can kind of vary what sort of quality you're going to get just Mm -hmm. it's like just because you tell a really great story when you're drinking doesn't mean that that story is going to (laughs) translate when you're standing up in front of a bunch of people yeah Yeah, different a lot of and people normally don't understand the context either Oh, yeah. They think like, oh, well, this story makes my buddy laugh. You know? <laughs> Mom thinks I'm funny. Is there a lot of that going on? Like, oh, this is a funny story I told once and then they'll say it and then does it fail? Like, on, like... It's like a, when you're on a good night and, and Mass Mouth gets pretty good people, They, they um, some of their events ha- are curated. So you'll have like some featured storytellers and then oh, cool. some uh, like open mic beforehand. A bit of the luck of the draw and... Uh, Within Boston, they actually just got a branch of uh, this uh, live lit performance called Story Club. And there's a Story Club Chicago and now there's a Story Club Boston. And they are the the first Thursday of every month, I think. So there are resources to just go sit and hear people tell outrageous stories. (laughs) And if if you're a voyeur like me, it's just really exciting to see people expose themselves, you know, on stage like that. No, that's really cool. That's that's good that you say that because I I feel like I would have the same reaction in those situations. Like, probably wouldn't want to participate, but would love to see all these other people bear their emotions up there, which is the cool part about it, right? Definitely. And um, within within Providence, there's one uh, live bait. They're the first Friday of every month. And I'd say that the quality really varies there because they're strictly open mic. But the one great thing about them is if you do want to tell a story, um, you will get a chance to go. They just pull names out of the fishbowl. But the other thing I really like about storytelling is it's super inclusive. There, I've never felt judged when doing it. It's always really supportive audiences. Mm-hmm. It's not, I think with the slam poetry, there's a little more Judge- judging. Yeah, I was going to ask, that was my next question was like, if your story is not good, does the audience still accept it or do you get booed off the stage? Yeah, no one is like heckling or throwing, yeah. you know, produce or anything. It's not like an open mic uh, stand-up comedy thing, right? Oh, my God. You couldn't – open mic stand-up comedy, open mic music, man, that is like a hard sell. If you go into a bar and you see it's open mic night, sometimes you want to leave. I mean, that's just – I mean, in all honesty, open <laughs> mic to me is just as evil as karaoke night can be. <laughs> You got to be in the right mindset. Yeah, that. exactly. Like sometimes I look forward to karaoke yeah. nights. It's like, oh, like yeah. when I do it. Yeah, you know, when Jimmy wants to sing uh, Aqualung, <laughs> then it's enjoyable. Yeah. Um, so, 
as a, uh, a writer and an editor, what is your nine to five or like, is it a nine to five? And I know we talked about in, in the other room how uh, people perceive writers as kind of, you know, a recluse, like writing mm-hmm. alone in a dark room, but that's not the case. No. Uh, uh, well, it, it is a little bit for me right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because we're talking about working remotely and, and that's what I'm doing right now is I'm working remotely uh, doing content creation for a company in Chicago. And I kept working for them even though I, I moved back to Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. So my nine to five right now is doing content creation and uh, editing for websites. So I'd say for for my own like creative pursuits because it doesn't really you know do it for me to do kind of the brand writing every day mm-hmm. it, it's great when you have a job that's related to your field but in some ways it, it is that extra obstacle at the end of the day like I've just been sitting and I've been editing and writing all day I'm really gonna put in an extra hour now for my own crap yeah you know? it's really tough to maintain working and earning money you're living doing uh, what you love to do because it certainly impedes on the things that you like want to do like aspirations and stuff have to kind of like well now I've really got to focus on this because this is my livelihood mm-hmm. Def- and that's why if you do um you know b- about the point about being if you're a total recluse that's why getting even though people think of it like this really romantic tragic image of people writing at like desks and hunched over <laughs> I mean I don't know if people think of it that way but <laughs> you know, doing this solitary activity, if you can get a writing partner or writing groups or you join different communities, it's going to make it that much easier for you because it's what we talked about before, the whole idea of accountability. And, you know, within um, one of the, you know, in Boston, there's a Grub Street. You can take writing classes there and meet different people. And in some ways it can be a little pricey, but if you think about it, like you're spending money on building your 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 network, even if you don't necessarily get things out of the class you're paying paying money for writing friends i yeah. i know it's like weird prostitution no. service <laughs> you know? um there's places in providence a uh, frequency providence or you know a lot of a uh, communities call it you know RISD has writing programs and i think it's really the best thing you can do especially when you're outside of your 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 set writing circle just to try to meet new people who are going to push you so, you on schedule. So what yeah. kind of things um, keep you motivated? Like what's your go-to thing to motivate you, like things that you love? Like I know like like music, you kind of have uh, something that will motivate you to write a song or if you have an idea for a film that kind of motivates you to, to create a film. Like what kinds of things motivate you when you're writing? <laughs> Panic. <laughs> fear. <laughs> well, that, that's... fear. Oh, how about crushing jealousy against another's success? Oh, that'll do it. Yes. You know. <laughs> that'll motivate you. <laughs> No better motivation than the success of a peer, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that childish? <laughs> Not at all. No, no and the, well, um, that's it's a good thing. And and that you know that's why it's great to be in, in a network of people. And you know I think that is how I know I'm a little bit of an adult now because now when I see people who are successful, I think that's really awesome. How can they help me? And yeah. s- instead of looking at them <laughs> and thinking like. You know, you can't see the face I'm making right now. But it's, <laughs> it was pretty devilish. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't want to um, see that again. But, you know, I mean, like, I guess seriously to answer your question, um, this is kind of a, a weird practice that someone told me to do. And it's helpful. I, I think of a lot of things uh, in the middle of the night, strangely. Yeah. And like if I can't sleep, I'm, I'll kind of just be writing in my head at night. And then you wake up in the morning. It's like, oh, I had a, a whole, you know, page last night. So 
I mean, this sounds totally hokey, but stuff by your bed. And I had a roommate who used to record herself because she would do this and she would like write in her head at night. So she kept a recorder by her, her bed and she would just kind of creepily speak into it. <laughs> you know? No, that's good. That uh, It's better than writing down because there's uh, that, that Seinfeld bit where he writes down yeah. something in the middle of the night, a great joke, and he can't read it in the morning. Right? He's got to yeah. figure out all day what the hell it meant. <laughs> well, I've, I've actually heard a, a pretty interesting concept for writing songs. Um, I can't remember who it was, but uh, there was a singer who was talking about when he writes lyrics, he writes them through the perspective of other people. Oh, yeah, I try to envision. Like if, like, you know, if he's knows somebody who's going through a shitty relationship or something, he'll write a song through that person's eyes. And, like, people go, like, oh, who's this girl that broke your heart? But it's actually, it wasn't about me. It was about somebody else. Yeah. Um, just interesting. No, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I think that that ties back into being a good writer. And if you're, you know, writing a, a big story, a novel, then you have to get into your characters' minds and write from their perspectives uh, upon their focus. So, I mean, yeah, you can adapt that kind of to anything. Mm-hmm. Screenplays. I mean, that's that's just it's good writing practice. I think to try and put yourself in other people's shoes. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. And then you don't get in trouble when people are like, "Is that song about me?" You're like, uh-uh. <laughs> no, 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 wasn't. <laughs> All right, let's move on to. All right, this week's this week's picks of the week are brought to you by Scratch and Sniff movie posters. Hmm. I figured you'd like that one. Not bad. You want to know what an X-Wing smells like? Scratch it and sniff it? Yeah. Yeah? It probably smells like oil. <laughs> you think it's oil? You think they're running on oil? I don't think they're running on oil, man. <laughs> I think they're way beyond oil. <laughs> yeah. I think so. All right, for those of you who don't know what Picks of the Week are, it's when we go around the table and talk about an album of the week and or a movie of the week. And or. And or. Um, Tom, let's go with you first. All right, I'll go first. Um, my pick is going to be a movie this week, and it's going to be a movie I saw once, and it was a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to pick it anyway, and I need to rewatch it, even though I enjoyed it the first time, which is the, uh, the horror movie, on topic, You're Next. Um, I, I, when I first saw the trailer for it, I was like, no, nah, that looks kind of stupid. I felt like they ruined a lot for me. Like, I was like, oh, like they showed me a lot of the cool deaths already, and I was like, there's nothing to look forward to. But then I actually watched it, and there was plenty beyond what they showed. Plenty of awesomeness. I uh, I appreciated the movie and I would recommend it. I uh, I can't speak in detail to it, but I do want to watch it again. I'm probably I'll probably purchase it. That means a lot, right? As a horror person, what would you rate it on a scale of one to ten? Hmm. Well, <laughs> see, I, I think I'll have a little bit of bias because I went in with relatively low expectations, and I always feel like I like a movie more when it kind of surpasses what I thought would happen for it. But I mean, trying to—I mean, I don't know—I mean, like a seven. All right, seven or so. I mean, it was good. This is it, the one with the masks, right? <laughs> That's a million movies, man. <laughs> yep, it's got masks and knives and blood. So, fuck you, Tom. <laughs> oh, all right, my pick of the week is gonna be Jimmy. Why don't you pick? Oh, you're an asshole. <laughs> Uh, my pick of the week is going to be Frozen, the new Disney movie. Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot I, of good Because I went movies. on a date and I saw it. Yeah? Who'd yeah. you go on a date with? This lovely lady I know. But, well, uh, that's good. <laughs> Don't tell Jax. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we went and saw that. And uh, it was it was, it was was all right. It was uh, Strong endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, no. We, 
we, well, the, the like, movies we talk about don't necessarily have to be something we liked. Like, we've talked about movies that were awful. Yeah, but some sort of passion. I Usually, if I hate a movie, I'll talk about it, but it's coming here and be like, well, it's okay, moving on. That's I watched I, it. That's what, yeah, that's what I do. I don't know. I, I liked it. There was there was some some pretty good moments in it, comedy wise. That's what I look for in in a, in a movie like that, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I just felt like the singing, the the Disney singing in the movie was very very forced in this really? movie. Like everything was a fucking song in this movie. Well, what do we feel about the state of Disney today in Disney movies? I I mean, as people who I'm assuming, I mean, we're all in our twenties here, right? Right. So we all watch Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King. We oh, all yeah. grew up with probably. The golden age of Disney movies. Well, nothing's going to be I, I like that. I think so. I mean, are we all just being... I don't think we're being blind. I, I really feel in my heart that that's true. I honestly do, too. And it's just like people are like, no, it's because you grew up with it, right? No. So the six-year-olds <laughs> no. today who watch, like, Frozen, and in 20 years when Disney's making even shittier movies, they're going to go, no, Frozen was the best. No, it's not. <laughs> what the Aladdin hell is Aladdin? Is, Aladdin is the best. Sorry. No, yeah, I agree. Um, it, everything was tastefully done in, the, in the old Disney movies. No, I'm not talking about Frozen. Oh, I'm talking about so, old Disney movies. <laughs> so Frozen was tasteless. I don't. It just. <laughs> it was a good movie, but it's just. It's not. It's not what. It's not up to par with but, what but we grew up with. We're also uh, not like eight and susceptible anymore. That's true. You know, because I mean, but see, I don't know. See, I I have to believe there's more than nostalgia holding all these old Disney movies up because there really is. It was a great period of time. I I have a friend who said the only time in his entire life he's ever seen his father cry was in The Lion King. <laughs> and that's it, like a grown man who's had all these life experiences, and The Lion King was so great. That was the one thing that broke him down well, as as a human. That's I mean, there's a lot going on in that's Lion King. That's all right. I what? almost cried during Star Trek. Into darkness while I was flying home from Europe last week. Whoa. Oh, which part? I can't say because. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I don't care. No. I, I can't say. Oh, okay. I can't ruin it. Well, but, it's been uh, really sad. It, it was. <laughs> as as, as in, in the land of nerddom, it was, it was sadness. Um, yeah. But Frozen, I, I'd say go see it. Don't, uh, don't expect Aladdin. Don't expect. The Lion King. I didn't almost cry. So. But, Fair enough. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Fallon? <laughs> I, I think I would like to talk about um, what is really the most important album in my life that shaped me as a person, which is oh. Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion 2. All right. All right. Now, many people. Now, what songs are on this album that we would know? Well, well that's, the, that's the snag that you would know. Well, that you would know. I mean, I guess you would say for me the very skippable knocking on heaven's door. Okay, you know, um, very skippable. The very uh, you know, don't cry. The alternate lyrics. Yeah. Um, the incredible estranged. The video where Axel sinks to the bottom of the ocean and there's a dolphin and. <laughs> It's That's like, pretty cool. It's like the seventh most expensive music video of all time or something like really? that. Was there a real dolphin? Of course. Was of he course. really at the bottom of the ocean? Uh, I guess that they, wasn't they CG back then. They do not skimp on production values in, in Guns N' Roses, it's you true. know, epic. But so, I mean, I feel like most people, when thinking about the canon of Guns N' Roses, they go right to Appetite for Destruction. But I I prefer Use Your Illusion 2, 
even though it has the very embarrassing My World at the end, which is this like industrial track, which kind of hints at what Guns N' Roses would have become had they stayed together. And, oh. you know, maybe it's why people left the band, but I feel very passionately about this album. And, you know, my, my boyfriend once told me that it really just sounded like a Sammy Hagar record and was like comparing it to all these horrible albums and the biggest fight we ever got into was about this. <laughs> That's how you know you're in a good relationship, by the way. When that's your biggest argument. I don't know. I screamed at him in the middle of a Chinese restaurant, just don't talk to me about Guns N' Roses anymore, okay? Because I just feel like he doesn't have the history and the understanding to like appreciate it like I do. And you know, whenever I talk about Guns N' Roses, it makes me feel like in that Tom Cruise and Matt Lauer interview where Tom Cruise screams at Matt Lauer, you don't know the history of psychiatry, I do. <laughs> and that's how I feel when people like go toe to toe with me about Axl Rose because <laughs> people always want to diss him and they just don't understand that he's a really complicated man. And it's like the whole band is it's like being an emotional roller coaster, being a fan. But I mean, the songs on User Illusion 2, they're just really great songs it was it was was ahead of its time people weren't ready for it just i'm a guns N' roses fan and like you said say what you want about axel rose but the guitar solo at the end of november rain is one of the best guitar guitar solos ever written no i mean it's the the user illusions are flawless i I would say (laughs) in my you know i actually met the person who's the voice on the end of the answering machine on knocking on heaven's door the guy who does that whole like, you know, rank subjugation, libido jack, blah, blah blah. You know, I was I was like working on a movie and I was wearing my Use Your Illusion Two T-shirt, which of course I own. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And uh, I I used to do um, work as a costume assistant and like oh, cool. I was going into a movie trailer and this guy was coming out and he looks at my T-shirt and he's like, "Oh, are you a Guns N' Roses fan?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> now, how many times have you seen Guns N' Roses? I've seen them, let me see, I saw them in 2001 at the Fleet TD, that thing up in Boston. <laughs> the Garden? The, the Garden up in Boston, <laughs> and that was with Buckethead, and then I saw- Oh, yeah, Buckethead. It was good, it was good. And that, He's, he rules, man. And then I saw them twice in the last few years, um, in their, their recent incarnation, and both those shows were awesome, and- I feel like the internet is starting to come around on Axl Rose. Like, after they played Governor's Ball last year, it's like everyone had to collectively admit that, you know, he can still sing and he's not just the the, the fat, bloated joke that people pass around on Facebook. Yeah. What about uh, what about Chinese democracy? I don't know what's happening with that. I mean, I I like Chinese democracy. And I'll say the same I never, thing. I never did it. I never, I never did it. Well, they had that song oh. on, uh, I think they put it on Rock Band. Oh, Shackler's Yeah, Revenge. Shackler's Revenge. No idea. Well, I'll say the same thing I said about Use Your Illusion. The world wasn't ready for Chinese democracy. It sounds like 10 years ahead of its time. And I I really feel that history is going to be on the side of Axl Rose. I'm just waiting patiently. You know what? That's really great insight and good analysis on on Guns N' Roses because you sold me. I'm pretty sure he punched Kurt Cobain. Didn't he like beat Kurt Cobain up? Well, he gets points now. Extra points for him. Oh, yeah. You hate Kurt Cobain. I just don't like Nirvana. Yeah, I know. It's, and it's That's most, interesting. No, I just don't. They never, never worked for me. And I, I, I don't know. There's always a disdain in my when I watched them. Do you like Dave Grohl and his projects? I do. Yeah. I do. I'm, and then, like, I always tell myself, I'm like, you know what? There's really no reason I shouldn't like Nirvana. There isn't. But I don't. I, ju- I know why you don't. Because I know you. 
<laughs> oh? And anything that anybody likes, Tom has to hate. Anything that's that not everybody true. hates, Tom has to love. That's no. not that is not true. It's I am very not true. that guy. Are you an Aquarius? Is that guy. No, I'm a Taurus. Oh, stubborn. Yes. Very stubborn. He's the mule. I am not a Taurus. You are. You're a very Taurus. Did you I'm watch not. the Grammys? Uh, no, I didn't. It was funny because at the end when like um, you know, Nirvana with, you know, Paul, like when they won their little award and Dave Grohl was like saying he's like because Black Sabbath presented the award, and he was like, yeah, the three of us, meaning him, Pat Smear, and I see this shit showing my ignorance, the other guy, <laughs> you know, he was just like, yeah, the three of us wouldn't be standing up here if it wasn't for Black Sabbath, and if it wasn't for you know, this other band, and it's just like, you mean Kurt Cobain, the three of you <laughs> wouldn't be standing up oh, there if it wasn't for Nirvana, they listed all these other bands, it was like they were in denial that Nirvana ever existed. Wow. that's See, that's not cool, because I, I know the impact Nirvana had on music and yeah. a lot of people. And that that I, I recognize, but it's just... I, I mean, it was a small moment that I'm probably reading into, but it was just like, as he, <laughs> as like Dave Grohl standing up there with his Nirvana contemporaries, citing all the other people that are the reason he's up there. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Want to play a game? Yeah, let's play a game. Let's play. Is that fucked up or what? Are we going to come up with a with a hit for Is That Fucked Up or What? Like we a better did. a better one? We will. Uh we'll come up with a better hit. Um so we're going we're going to play Is That Fucked Up or What? <laughs> um, that's when I give you a topic that's usually fucked up and you have to try to basically defend it. Yeah, you've got to rationalize why it potentially couldn't be fucked up. And I'm going to I I got a good one for tonight and we've discussed this. We've discussed this. We have. This is straight out of Tom's brain. Human milk Oh! oh no! <laughs> I'm out of here. I... No, no human milk. No, no. This is awesome. No, this is great. Um, so the dilemma is. What, so what, this is what I love to do to people when I first meet them. Uh, oh God! When, milk when I, them. Yeah, I like to milk everyone. <laughs> Instead of I go, hi, how are you doing? Shake hands, and then I start to milk their tits. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you never did that to me. No, well, I, I haven't done it to anyone here because it's not true. Oh. You know, it was a lie. I lied. I'm sorry. I don't milk humans. Um, but here's the dilemma. Uh, I always ask people whether or not, you know, they think, like, human milk. Like, would you drink human milk? And, and everyone's reaction is always, ugh, ugh, gross. And I'm like, how is that gross? That is what we're supposed to drink. Am I incorrect <laughs> in saying that? That's true. Right? It's what we start our lives with. It's what some of us. It's, it's, some, it's what some of us start our lives with. It is it is naturally just built into breasts. Uh, of course, it starts to brew. Do you see how passionate happen. he is about this? Well, because it's so fascinating to me how people are so disgusted <laughs> with the idea of human milk now. Because who are we milking and how are well, we no, getting here's, it? Hey, here's so, my thing. I think we need to have these women that sign up for these milk farms and, and they work for a year. No, no. And then they get to retire. No, I thought about that. No, because here's the thing with human milk is oh, yeah, the reason. you get to sit and watch? T- like, all right, yeah. how strenuous is the job? You sit around and, you know, they, you get I mean, milk they, they feed you. An hour. You, they milk you, uh, you do this for a year, and then you get a nice quota. retirement package. No, it, it should work out really well. But, no, here's the thing. Here's the problem with human milk is that the reason we drink cow milk is because when cows are sick, we can't contract those same il- uh, illnesses, right? So if we were to be drinking breast milk from a sick woman, well, I think we'd they be would... contracting all of those illnesses. <laughs> I think they'd pasteurize it and all that crap, right? We're not just going to... Drink straight human milk. Straight from that's the disgusting. Tap. That's the point. <laughs> no, this is stuff's on tap. It's the point. Um, but so here, here are the problems. It cannot be mass produced, right? That's just kind of fucked up, 
Like you cannot mass produce human milk. Think about it. I mean, even at this even at this huge pay package and severance and all this other jazz about people donating their milk and everything, it's a lot. It's a lot to do. So the the, the proposition is for the woman of the household to provide the human milk. Oh, okay. So each woman, I get you saying. Oh, like like the the family animal? <laughs> no, no, it's the family provider, <laughs> and it's that's not the only thing people are going to drink for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? It's just I don't know. I mean, I, it's not even about them. What if you think of it like a delicacy, like a rare fish? You know, it's very oh, something like salmon that, eggs. Yeah, yeah, like caviar. Yeah, something you know, not for everyday Would consumption. You care for no, a glass it's true. Of, of the human but a delicacy. Milk. Exactly. It's uh, only around Christmas time can we drink human milk. You know? Eggnog. <laughs> human can eggnog. I get, can I get some titnog, please? <laughs> All right. What's your stance? On human milk? Yeah. I mean, I I know I, I, I bring this argument up, and I always defend one side of it, that it's not gross, but it it's split for me. It, it's 50% fucked up, 50% not fucked up. All right. What do you think? I think it's hypocritical to say it's fucked up. I feel like even though I wouldn't consume it, it should be... Allowed and and it shouldn't be judged, even though I I wouldn't partake. And I, I mean, agree, and that's the mindset. Because I mean, you know, otherwise, if you start thinking too much about anything, unless you're living a really like, ugh, I don't even want to talk about it. That's all. <laughs> all right, I, I'm gonna go. It's not fucked up. Give me a nice cold glass of human milk and and a side of human cookies, whatever the hell that might be. Well, I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I draw the line at human cookies. Well, I'm not talking about baking with human milk, man. I don't think it's Why rich not? enough. It's not rich enough to cook you can, with. You can cook with soy milk. I think if you, like, Google it, you can, like, go to restaurants. You can go to restaurants? Well, I feel like there's a place that sells, like, cheese out of, you know, human? boob milk. Boob milk? Oh, yeah, maybe. Mm. All right, you've been listening to The Studio Seller. If you'd like more information, please navigate on over to www.thestudioseller.com or facebook.com slash thestudioseller or we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash thestudioseller. Yeah. And we're on iTunes. Um, and I know I posted uh, a couple of reminders. If you're listening to the show on Chrome, Good call. don't do it. Yeah. Um, I've I've talked to Squarespace a few times about this. They they have an uh, an issue with Chrome where there's dropouts. So Firefox, Internet Explorer, or even straight up iTunes is your best bet. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yes. So, uh, Fallon, would you like to plug anything? Websites? Anything? If you were to go to scarsmagazine.com and you wanted to buy print issues, you could find a whole catalog of back issues. And if you were really compelled to follow me, you could find me at Master Fallon on Twitter. Master Fallon. I like that. Very nice. Tommy? Um, what I'll plug... I'm going to actually... So Dennis and I went out to the bar last night and we were looking over the hey, proof of his book. thanks for the invite, buddy. Hey, no, it was specifically... <laughs> f- you weren't even around, dude. You weren't around. even around. Were you? I was around, yeah. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I was actually sitting around on my ass doing nothing, so thanks. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. We were looking over the proof of, of his new book. And uh, so Dennis is coming out with an art book full of all of his art. Uh, looks great so far. Uh, he's still got some work to do on it. I think... Uh, Maybe about a month from now, it's going to start to ship. He's going to finish it up, and that's called uh, "Tales from the Southland." Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Heroes, haunts, and hooligans. He did mention that on the show. Mm-hmm. I'll plug that. Um, I'm going to plug the studio: Facebook.com/slash Turbulent Studios. www.turbulentstudios.com. You know what? You know, you know what? I know what I really appreciate when uh, Jessica Prouty was on last week, and uh, she made you slow down and and give your 
I just feel like I'm doing like the the uh, the disclaimer at the end of like the commercial. Oh, like the like the old Kool Aid commercial. Yeah, exactly. www.turbulentstudios.com. Also, the Bears Den Recording Studio.com. I'm working on the Haiti Relief Building Fund project with Jay DeLuca. Yep. We actually had to push that back. Um, so probably April we'll be looking at that. Cool. But um, I'm going to be recording some bands. Nice. In the next couple of weeks for that. Awesome. And that's all I have to say about that. Cool. Thank you, Fallon, so much for coming by. Thank you. Yeah, and seriously, uh, thanks for coming. I'm Jim. On short notice as well. <laughs> Very short. I'm Jim. All right, fine. I'm Tom. And remember, my name is Jeff, and I like to party. Sorry, I lied. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> deep breathing formidable. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. Deep Breathe. Breath. Fluffy clouds. I can't do this. That's this right. is why I need to, to read off the paper. <laughs> well, we have this Jeff thing. My name is Jeff. My name is Jeff. My name is Jeff. Party, 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 party. Kill hey, that's you. That's a good song. <laughs> my name is Jeff. My name is Jeff. <laughs> that sounds like an Andrew W.K. song. Yeah, it is. <laughs>